Right now, the gap between what you should save and what you can save has never felt bigger. The U.S. Bank mobile app can help by finding ways to help you reach your savings goals with personalized insights that fit your real life to make your financial goals feel within reach. Because even our tools are smart enough to put people first. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. And thank you, Scott Slade. Welcome, everyone, to Energy Matters, a radio show that helps you save money, use technology, and to be more sustainable. In the studio with me, some frequent voices here. John Noel, former state representative. Casey Boyce, the senior product director for Market Strategies. And Ryan Sanders, uh, who is a partner with Beltline Energy and founded the Georgia Large Scale Association and also a Bulldog. Yes, sir. Yeah. So when did you graduate? I graduated in 2003. Mm-hmm. What was your major? I had two. I had a, a degree in history and a degree in political science. My man. Wow. Yes, sir. Impressive. You know, political science, it's, it's all about math, isn't it? Uh, I remember I was... Uh, uh, I was going to get a Ph.D. in political science until I discovered that you had to take four statistics courses uh, in order to, to get <laughs> I'd bail that. too. <laughs> and so I said, I think I'll just get a I think I'll just get a master's over at Grady and PR. Uh, <laughs> Not trying to burn any bridges here, but I uh, have a master's degree from Georgia Tech in political science as well. And there was there was more math. Uh, what a surprise. Yeah, mm. I, I almost mm. unaware Shocked. that there was math while I was at Georgia. Like, yes. Georgia Tech, big surprise. <laughs> so you've got, <laughs> I mean, you've got uh, a degree from UGA, you got a degree from Tech and Emory, right? Yes, and what did you do at Emory? Uh, I received my MBA from Emory. Yeah. So as you think about those experiences, uh, you know, as students at various ages in your life, I mean, how important was your college education experiences and how is it shaping your life as a leader today? invaluable. Um, starting with my time at U- University of Georgia, um, truly felt that I was sitting with the future leaders of the state of Georgia while I was at UGA. Um, was able to polish up my math skills at uh, Georgia Tech and uh, continue to expand my, my research uh, base. And yeah. then really matured as a, as a professional while I was at Emory um, uh, working on my MBA. Wow. All right. Well, so that that's great segue from, from MBA to starting your own solar business. So tell me about how, how did you get started in the solar business? Uh, so prior to being with Beltline Energy, I was with one of the first companies to develop a solar project in the state of Georgia, solar design development, um, actually permitted and developed the first one megawatt uh, solar project to sell energy to the Georgia Power Company back in 2010. That's a big deal. Yeah. It, it was at the time. Yeah. Um, as things have grown, one megawatts and 20 one megawatt me- projects are no yeah. longer big deals, but right. they were back then. But in 10, in 2010, and the first one in the Georgia Power System, That's and right. would have been probably one of the first ones of that size in Georgia, too. The first one to come online was one megawatt, uh, and then followed closely thereafter by a 16 megawatt uh, solar project in Mitchell County, which was a big deal back in the uh, in 2011. Where did Beltline Energy come? What, that that name. So my partner and I, uh, and at the time we had a third partner, were having lunch um, on the Beltline discussing the future of solar in Georgia, uh-huh. and we had a uh, what we thought was a compelling business model. What we did not have was a compelling name. Um, we spent about 30 minutes discussing it and walked away from lunch with Beltline Energy. Wow, interesting. Right, so, how do you think? Solar has changed in Georgia. We know systems have gotten bigger, but over the last five years, there's been a lot of evolution. Tell us about some of that. So I can speak for the utility-scale market and the southeastern market that we're toiling in here with Georgia Power, and things have gotten bigger. Things have gotten much less expensive. Um, When we first started out— Quantify that. Okay. When we first started out, we were looking at projects— Mr. Numbers guy. —that were north of $0.12 per kilowatt hour. Okay. Currently, and in this upcoming program with Georgia Power, uh, we expect that the average aggregate price will be sub three cents per kilowatt hour. Average, ag- okay. So we've gone from twelve to three cents. And tell our no, listeners, to be clear, north of twelve, north of twelve, right? To sub right. three cents in it's, the span of 
Let's do the math here. Eight years. Eight years. All right. Uh, so, and tell our listener what is a kilowatt hour? Give a general reference. It's a. Uh, How much energy is that? So our data shows that a typical house uses about 1,100 kilowatt hours every month. That makes sense. The typical unit of measurement that we use is megawatt, and that will serve about 300 houses per megawatt. And I used 35 kilowatt hours yesterday, according to my phone. Okay. So the first system was providing power for 300 homes in uh, Upson County, Georgia. And the current projects that are going off in today's market are usually from 150 megawatts up to three or 400 megawatts. 75% cheaper than it used to be. Absolutely. Golly, that's unbelievable. Ryan, tell us a little bit about uh, the association you're with. What, what is the large-scale solar association, and, and what does it do? Sure. So um, back in 2016, when it became clear that Georgia Power was going to expand their utility-scale supply-side solar market dramatically, um, there was a lot of interest from both both local companies and national companies. Um, and there was not a voice currently operating in the state of Georgia that was advocating for utility-scale interests, which oftentimes aligned with larger, more national companies. Yeah. Beltline has always tried to align our business model with the interests of the regulated monopoly that um, that's, that is Georgia Power in Georgia. And so we were um, toiling in advance of these utility-scale projects and had many relationships within the national solar market that we were new were interested in Georgia, but didn't have a policy voice. Mm -hmm. And so we helped organize these voices. And we started out with six members. Now we have 18 members. We intervened in the 2016 IRP and expanded the num total number of megawatts from 525 megawatts to 1,600. So can you give our listeners some example of you say you 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 know advocate on behalf of these large scale producers and you try to align your interests with Georgia Power. What, what does that look like in practice? What kinds of things are are you advocating for besides getting more solar on the grid in Georgia? We have a very narrow charter and we're really actually trying to focus on exclusively on our charter which is to advocate for more utility scale megawatts in the state of Georgia. We have stepped out of our lanes a little bit over the last 3 years. Um, we organized to float a piece of legislation that allowed solar to coexist with the existing Georgia CUVA legislation. Which, oh, boy. Which, yeah, it's Jargon alert. Yeah, it's a mouthful. CUVA is the is a nomenclature. It allows agricultural landowners to avoid up to 75% of their property taxes. Seems oh. like a good deal. Uh, okay. For the farmer, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, as soon as solar is deployed on a piece of agricultural property... They're that in breach of their covenant, it. yeah, and the the breach penalty can be quite substantial. Uh, so you want to figure out how to waive that stuff, so farmers aren't aren't whacked for doing the right thing. That's exactly right. Okay, I got it. And as a matter of fact, John, I think with this legislation that came through the Georgia General Assembly, it enabled land close to substations that previously had been unavailable to use for solar. It freed up a lot of that oh, land, gosh. yeah, and. And that factored into this cheap cost that he's talking about because, remember, That's a great point. the proximity the proximity that you are to a substation determines the inter interconnection cost. So I've gotten calls. All, I, I don't even do solar, but I get calls from people say, hey, uh, can we do solar? And I got a big farm in so-and-so county. And I, my first question is, before I refer them out, are you near – uh, high voltage lines, or are you near substations? What's that? Well, big transformers that sit on the ground, and people don't realize that. Just what Tim was saying, that is really important. Otherwise, you got to run lines to get to the lines. It's absolutely essential. Uh, if the piece of property does not have existing infrastructure, it's cost prohibitive to develop a solar array on that at that location. Yeah, that's so right. It, it's it's. In a lot of ways, over the last 100 years, when Georgia Power or other utility companies were running these transmission lines across family farms, it was very, very unpopular. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 2015 and beyond, it's a little bit like having a, uh, a golden ticket. Because if you have the right line and the right substation and the right piece of property, um, interesting, you can have something that adds a lot more value to the property than your tra traditional agricultural um, avenues. Ryan, I know a lot of people contact me and say, well, you know, I live in Athens or I live in Atlanta. Why, don't, why aren't we seeing more big solar? This cost of land is another factor that goes in, right? The amount per acre, how important is that? It's, it's, well, it's one of the few levers we have that drive cost. Um, so strength of sun, uh, topography, 
the cost of, of leasing the land or buying the land, and then, of course, the equipment cost of, this, of the system itself. Now, the equipment cost has been plummeting over the last eight years. That is responsible for most of that 75% Even reduction. Even with tariffs. The tariffs you know, been, haven't been in, enacted. Absolutely. It's like okay. most technologies. The more you invest in it, the price falls. And you know, the natural resource, resource, the more you invest in it, the price rises. With a piece of technology, the more, you, the more capital investment that goes in, just like flat screens or any other type of technology, the more you invest, the price drops. And with the massive amount of investment that we've seen in both the United States and the, you know, the whole world, the price of solar, um, the panels, the racking. Cheaper by the dozen. Absolutely. I was recently in Twiggs County, not too far from the Warner Robins Air Force Base. Uh, Jeffersonville is the county seat. And we were doing the groundbreaking for a 2,400-acre solar array uh, that was going to generate, that will generate uh, 200 megawatts when it's complete. Wow. And we were told by the county commissioner there that that solar array alone would double the tax digest for Twix County. So how important is it to rural economic development? It's enormous. And it's it's important to the families that it's impacting. It's important to the counties that it's being deployed in. So the programs that you and your fellow commissioners are creating are are amounting to an enormous amount of investment in middle and south Georgia. In fact, in 2019 alone, we will have upwards of $1.1 billion of investment made in middle and south Georgia. That 200 megawatt system in Twigs is part of that. Awesome. Well, John, Casey, uh, Ryan, sometimes out of sight is out of mind. And and folks in Atlanta, they don't see these big arrays. And certainly it's important as we continue. Lord knows South Georgia and rural Georgia needs uh, significant economic development help. The tax base is decimated. Uh, Solar, in the case of Twiggs County, found out, doubled it. Uh, So solar really has an opportunity to impact economic development in rural parts of the state. We're delighted you're doing it, uh, Ryan, and we're grateful for the efforts that uh, others are undertaking in promoting solar across Georgia. Hey, let's keep this conversation going. When we come back, I'd like to have you talk more about Big Solar and that Sapelo charity project that we're doing. You're listening to Energy Matters, and I'm Tim Eccles. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to gemcarservice.com. That's G-E-M, carservice.com. John, one of our sponsors for the show, Row Insulating Company, is doing a great job in and around Athens, being able to do a lot of what we talk about every single week on the show. You get, every time it gets cold, every time it gets hot, it's always a, it's always that attic that's the problem. And uh, you could tack windows, and that's going to cost you a cold fortune. It is insulation that can solve the problem. Hey, if you want to get this fixed, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Row Insulating Company. Row. Welcome back to Energy Matters. It's a radio show to help you save money, to use technology, and to live a more sustainable life. I've got some solar experts in the room with me. My co-host, John Noel, Casey Boyce here, as well as Ryan Sanders, who runs Beltline Energy. He's also the founder of the Large Scale Solar Association in Georgia. Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. AGG takes a business sensibility approach when advising clients. AGG provides industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve success. AGG's transaction, litigation, regulatory, and privacy counselors serve clients in healthcare, real estate, litigation, business transactions, fintech, global commerce, government investigation, logistics, and transportation. AGG subscribes to the belief, not if, but how. We appreciate their weekly support of Energy Matters. Ryan, as you guys do these large projects in Georgia and around the Southeast, do you do anything without a lawyer? I mean, how important are these lawyers to helping you be able to to navigate these waters? Well, they're important. They help us stitch everything together. And uh, we actually work with Arnold, Golden, and Gregory on a frequent basis. How about that? They help us with our tax pilot agreements. And, um, you know, we we can't do business without them. Yeah. Speaking of 
South Georgia. We talked in the last segment about rural Georgia, South Georgia, middle Georgia, where all these large arrays are going. You and I are working together on a charity project down at Sapelo Island. There's probably a lot of Georgians that have never actually been to Sapelo Island. You catch a ferry in Darien, which is just north of Brunswick, and go over to the island. And, you know, there's a the history of Sapelo kind of tied to Jekyll. Uh, the Sapelo Island Company was originally involved in developing that. But now, uh, now it's uh, a UGA facility there. There's the Reynolds Mansion that the Reynolds family, uh, you know, eventually gave to the state. And there's an old Gula Geechee community Very that cool. Mr. Reynolds, uh, upon exiting the island, donated some of the land to the former slaves and descendants of slaves there. And there's just a small group of them left, under 100. But uh, the Large-Scale Solar Association is taking on the idea and project of putting solar on their library. Tell us a little bit about that project. Absolutely, Tim. It's not all about just capital investment in, in rural counties. It's also about engaging with local communities. And all of our members, most of which are national or not from Georgia, are looking for ways to engage. And this is actually a project that was born out of your leadership. And we were happy to, to help support the effort. And we are looking to install a small rooftop solar array uh, in support of the Gula Geechee Library on Sapelo Island. Um, and we're excited about the project. That's yeah. great. Thanks so much for sharing about uh, that uh, that project. And, and I hadn't heard about that before, Tim. So so thanks for bringing that on and having Ryan talk about it. Um, so, so Tim and his colleagues on the Public Service Commission right now are in the midst of uh, uh, an integrated resource plan that the Georgia Power Company is uh, looking at their generation mix over the next couple of years. And, and Ryan, as you look out the next couple of years, what do you see the future look like for large-scale solar? So the big item that everybody's talking about today is battery storage and how that is going to pair with Boom. intermittent solar yeah. uh, generation. Um, it's really a huge opportunity for solar. Currently in this in this regulated market, um, we will get to a point where we've had enough intermittent capacity on the grid where Georgia Power will say we've had enough. Batteries allow us to push the frontier a little bit and will actually allow us to have more intermittent solar resource uh, integrated onto the grid than is possible without the battery. So, so let's drill down on that a second. There, we're we're, we're going to reach the point, or it's probably already happening, where there's so much solar hitting the grid during a bright sunny day. George Power says, wait, I've already got a lot of generation, infernal combustion uh, generation, uh, natural gas, coal, whatever, online, nuclear. I don't need all this extra solar. You're saying this could be stuck in a battery and then utilized later? Uh, sort of. And just to be clear, we're a long way from reaching our capacity limitations in this Georgia grid with solar right now. We're oh, probably really? three or four gigs away from reaching a point where anybody could argue that we've reached a capacity threshold. But that threshold's in the future, and we can see it out there. Batteries will allow us to push it out. And so storage will allow the solar facility to remove some of the intermittency and be more reliable for the utility company. And in the utility Explain world... Explain intermittency to our, viewer, to our listeners. So with solar, you can't count on us 24 hours a day. Um, we're there when you need us the most, i.e. 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon when the sun's blazing, everybody has their air conditionings on, and we're in the state's using you know, a maximum amount of energy. But we're not there on cloudy days. We're not there during when it's raining. We're not there at night. So this intermittency makes it more difficult to, uh, to interconnect inter, uh, solar resources onto the grid because you have to plan for the ups and downs. The battery allows us to smooth some of that out, and we can be a more reliable partner for the utility company. Ryan, you talked earlier about how much less expensive solar had gotten over the last eight years or so. When you add batteries to that mix, you've you've got to pay for those, right? I mean, are, are they adding to the cost that the the company's going to have to pay for solar resources, or is there value in having that battery there? How does what do the economics look like? That's, That's a great a question. question. <laughs> so the, the the price goes up, but the value yeah. goes up. So we might be spending a little bit more on the overall system, but we're able to provide power to the utility in such a way that our overall energy generation has more value to them, more net benefit uh, in the parlance of George Power. Uh, give that to me another way. Okay, so. Uh, we start producing about the same time the state of Georgia peaks in their energy usage. So about 11 o'clock in the morning when right. everything's ramping up, yes. that's when our solar panels come to life. That's when mine start to rock and so and we're roll. ramping up, yeah. we're ramping up, hit about noon, 3, yep. 4 o'clock, everything's going well. 
At 5 p.m., solar starts ramping down. Drop off a cliff. The peak energy usage in the state starts ramping down at 6 or 7 p.m. Oh. So there's a differential between that 5 o'clock when we go home and 7 o'clock when the utility can start winding down there. So you're able to keep using that solar later in the day. That's exactly oh, right. The battery okay. allows us to push, to shift that production curve from five closer to seven. That's great. And the utility company has to have spinning reserves in the background to backfill when we go home at five. Right. To make sure that that. Fi- so those that spinning reserves stop spinning. Uh, just the not as necessary. And their right. spinning reserves are expensive for the utility company to, to keep waiting in the wings. So I'm really glad that there is a piece of glass between you two guys here, because it, it seems like that Let there's often a tension between rooftop scale solar like you've got, John, oh, yeah. and the utility scale solar, Ryan, that you do. So, big so tell us about that. Like, wh- why is that? Or am I completely off base here? And, and you know, how do you see that resolving? I would say the the members of the Georgia Large Scale Solar Association are largely unaware of any tension that goes on. In fact, all of our members are in support of all types of solar. It is the reality here in the state of Georgia that it's a little bit of a zero-sum game. And so we don't find the utility willing to do both a robust behind-the-meter market and a robust utility-scale market. Um, Me being behind the meter, right? Okay. Me being utility-scale, unfortunately. Gotcha. Uh, Or in any event, the utility has shown a, a... distinct preference for supply-side utility-scale solar. They can It fits within their existing business model. Low-cost generation, consolidated at one location, transmitted and distributed by the utility company who's in the, mar- who's in the business of selling electrons to their customers. A large-scale solar uh, installation fits right within that business model. When you're on the rooftop, there's only so much margin that can be placed on the cost of production and the cost of sale. And in this utility market, in this... Um, monopoly utility market, Georgia Power is familiar and used to receiving all of the margin from energy sales. Rooftop solar erodes that that margin for them. Interesting. John, what do you think about that? (laughs) I'm going to go to another subject rather than battle on this. I want to ask you about greenies like me, enviros like me, we love solar. Greenies uh, like us. Uh, oh, excuse me. Yes. Well, I'm not being meaning to be. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. You got to also pitch to a Republican uh, uh, legislature, Republican PSC, um, and, and so how do how do you create a bipartisan approach to pushing large scale solar? That's, that's a great question. That's one that we have spent countless hours uh, working on. We have a regulatory attorney that's that's well-versed in the Republican Party here in Georgia. He's been a great navigator for our organization. We have worked hard to differentiate ourselves and our type of solar generation. Um, we've, and Tim can attest to this. We've done numerous um, meetings and workshops and seminars talking about how Consolidated utility-scale generation fits within the conservative platform, and so we've 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 always had friends within the Democratic side of the aisle. We've been working really hard to foster our relationships with the the Republican Party. Here I in think Georgia. you're winning it. I, I think I think the math helps, and I think people just get it. You're absolutely right. When we went down below, when solar utility-scale solar went down below four cents per kilowatt hour, it made it a lot easier to have these conversations. Right. You know, I think on another another episode on another day we've got to talk about the similarities between electric cars and and solar and the difference in the marketing strategy or the messaging that the that the two uh, causes have used in Georgia because the solar folks learn to speak Republican and I'm a Republican and you know you've got to talk about economic development with Republicans and my electric car friends never really learned to speak Republican and as a result, they were put in a major timeout. The legislature whacked them with a $200 plus fee. They lost their tax credit. Uh, they're not allowed in the lanes over in Cobb or Henry County. And I think it, it boils down to the way that they presented the issues. And mm. large scale solar has become such a win win situation. For Georgia. And John, you were state representative. I mean, you love ribbon cuttings. You love getting your picture in the paper just like I do. Mm-hmm. And when these solar arrays come into South Georgia and it helps these poor counties, the, the state representative, the county commission, they're right there on the front page of the newspaper. They're all there. The question is, are they all there voting? You know, everybody likes to go to ribbon cutting, but not a lot of people like to advocate. And not everybody that's at that ribbon cutting actually voted for what they're cutting the ribbon on. And that's a problem. Yeah, so 
I think we'll continue to see more. We'll we'll see uh, exactly what happens, you know, by the end of by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, you're listening to Energy Matters, and we certainly not only want to help you save money, but I want to help the whole state save money. And and that's what these large scale solar arrays are doing. They're actually putting downward pressure on rates. No subsidy, no mandate. No renew, renewable portfolio standard. It's been a great story for Georgia. Well, thanks, Ryan, for being here. Good luck in all your efforts. Thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing you on Sapelo Island throughout the year. Well, you're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. Stay tuned for more exciting information. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Georgia Solar Association. And welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of your show. I've got John Knoll, former state representative, with me. And up for these two segments, all the way in from Marietta, uh, is Meredith Hodges and PJ Zonzius. And they work with Gas South. You hear their commercials on our show every single week. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Yeah. You know, as I think about the history of natural gas in Georgia, something major happened in 1997. Uh, There was a a state senator named Sonny Perdue, uh, who eventually became governor, eventually became the secretary of agriculture. But Sonny Perdue, working with stakeholders, including uh, Atlanta Gas Light, changed an entire paradigm Mm -hmm. in the way that natural gas is uh, is delivered and regulated and, and, and ultimately priced. And tell us about that historic moment in our state and why it's important. So I would say that it has been historic, and Georgia is a model for all states out there when it comes to deregulation. Really? Because huh. It has fully unbundled the monopoly utility service from Mm. supply to retail, which means that customers have lower prices. Um, I've got to say that when I travel around the country, they do say that exact thing that you're saying, that because the company that owns the pipes is not competing against the other marketers, it it makes it a more level playing field. Exactly. Hmm. So the marketer is responsible for buying the gas, having it delivered to Atlanta Gaslight City Gate, and then we're responsible for customer service. City Gate, what does that mean? That means uh, where the gas enters into AGL's system. Okay. So you buy the gas. It's sort of like on the electric side. You've got your transmission. Okay. The trans the gas comes to the city, and then uh, AGL is responsible for the dis- distribution of that gas within the state of Georgia, where their pipes are. Okay. But and bec- we pay them for that. And yeah. we do pay them for that. Right, it's right, it's right. important. I mean, they have to keep up the infrastructure right. and do the safety, and they read the meters and take care of all of that. You know, Meredith, one of the things that I also hear from other states is a kind of an envy of Georgia for having replaced all the old pipes. And, you know, if you think about infrastructure, it's not a, 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 quote, sexy thing to do for politicians and elected officials. But we've replaced all of these pipes, which has helped with the leak issues. And we're kind of ahead of the game, aren't we? We're very mm. ahead of the game. And thanks to the Public Service Commission for getting that done. So um, the pipeline replacement program has been in place for like 10 years or so, and we have replaced all the cast iron um, and bare steel pipes across the state. And that that was really thinking ahead of the curve. Um, not a lot of utilities have done that around all, the country. All of them, all of them to, in to what, Atlanta Gaslight system. Right. 
to whatever is the new industrial standard. Okay. And so what that does is that eliminates leaks, which right. also eliminates the possibility for, for things blowing up or whatever. So, um, so that's, that's interesting. So in the whole gamut of the of the country, now he's hearing this, but I like to hear it from a, a more of an independent party. Is that unique? Like. Other states have not done this? Other states have not done this. No, not yet. Wow. So, I mean, some of them are in the process of doing it. We were just way ahead of the curve. Thanks to the commissioners, they had the foresight to, to get this done. Interesting. Which is really great for the customers in Georgia. It's a very safe system that AGL operates. Right. I mean, when you delay improving infrastructure, you mm-hmm. do eventually pay for it. Uh, just ask the city of Atlanta. I mean, yeah, we're it, two, three billion dollars into this debacle of the sewer system down there. Just you know, it's nearly complete now, but it nearly bankrupted the city. It certainly can. It's, but, it's a lot easier to you know do things that are above the ground where everybody's seeing it, everybody's feeling they're feeling good about this project. I mean, who feels good about pipes? Nobody feels good about it's pipes. It's not but, sexy, but it's safe, and right. that's what we need to make sure that the system works well. Safe and cheap. You had me at cheap too. We had cheap. Well, and that goes back to the whole unbundling of the services. So what you get now that the marketplace has been deregulated is it promotes innovation because you have marketers that are all competing for customers. So we're trying to come up with new products and services or rate plans. It provides for customer service improvements. We've got great safeguards for consumers that's um, overseen by the Public Service Commission, the Public Service Commission staff. Mm-hmm. We've got very rigorous standards for people entering into the market. We've got a very fair rate-making system for AGL. It's much simpler um, than having have the commission look at all different jurisdictions of the supply, transmission, distribution distribution of gas. Mm. So, and it provokes um, more opportunities for regulated solutions and deregulated solutions for low-income and credit-challenged customers. So, if all this thing is true, then, uh, and presumably it is, then how is your customer base growing? Because it's such a wonderful world out there and everything's this beautiful, there's birds flying in the sky and the flowers are pretty and everything's great. Are you growing your business? We are growing our business. Gas South started in January of 2006. Mm-hmm. I was one of the few people there at the beginning. And we had about 160,000 customers at the time. PJ was what, in middle school? At least. Okay. okay. <laughs> so we had about 160,000 customers, and all of our growth has been organic. We are over 300,000 customers now. Mm. We have done that through um, alliance partnerships where we've partnered. How many total customers in the state? 1.6 million. 1.6 million. So three and that's pretty big market it share. It is. And okay. basically we're taking market share away from other marketers because it's a set number Ooh. of customers in the state. You have me a free market economy. But mm. we do we do add some customers by adding more pipe, right? So as we as we grow this pipe network underground and take this pipe to places that it hasn't gone before, like up here in northeast Georgia to poultry farms, these poultry farmers are very interested in moving from propane to natural gas. Why is that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, there, well, there's 4,000 poultry farms above I-20. Whoa! And uh, so we, about uh, five years ago, recognized this, and we've really been helping in partnership with AGL to make, the, to get, make these pipelines possible. The poultry farms use as much gas as a, as a hotel. So this is a big Holy expense. Moly. Energy for these poultry farms are their number two spend next to their mortgage. And if you... If you you know, understand this business, uh, they only get paid every 90 days, you know, the cycle of growing the chickens. And so what we did um, at Gas South is we actually developed a plan, a specific type of product for them that they only have to pay every 60 days. So that aligns with their uh, their cash flow. And uh, Your competitors are taking notes right now. That's fine. But they all yeah. they all know about it. Okay. Um, but you know, it's been a it's been a great um, great great story for us, and uh, they're great people, and we really enjoy having them as customers. I think we're going to continue to add more and more pipe to try to service these poultry producers. It is a, a huge industry in Georgia. It's very important, as you said. It's the number two. Uh, line item for them on their expenses so i know there's a lot of poultry producers that listen to this station and just want you to know we're you know we're out there thinking about you and we want to continue to bring that gas to you just to clarify the usf is funded by sequent who schedules and trades gas for agl they contribute 60 percent of their profits and interruptible customers 
which are large industrial customers, they also contribute to the Universal Service Fund. And then we add to that fines that we may levy against companies that have operator error or or other things, and that money goes uh, into the pool as well. But the ratepayers are not paying for the Universal Service Fund. So if you're looking at your gas bill, bill, folks, you're not going to see it. It's not going to be on there. This money's coming from another source. And I think what you find in rural areas is an interest in broadband, and it's also an interest in having natural gas so they don't have to buy propane. Yeah, so we can do one of three things. Uh, The commission has control over this pool of money, uh, and we can do one of three things. Uh, We can... Uh, We can either expand pipes, as Meredith just said, we can refund it back to customers, or we can give it to an agency that works with with low-income heating assistance, like the Salvation Army, for example. All mobile. All good. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. we've done um, each of those things uh, over the last eight years since I've been on the commission. We have, yes. And so I, yeah, I, as a consumer, though, I worry about junk fee. You know, universal service fund sounds like a fee that might be going into a black hole. What's going on? So I'm glad to hear your explanation because it makes me, my blood pressure go down a little bit. And my well, blood pressure tends to jump a lot. You know, John, it really isn't a junk fee like the stuff you see on your phone bill. That universal access fee mm. on, on your cell phone and your landline bill is truly a junk fee. You're not going to see the USF fund. This is this is actually being paid by by someone else. So it's not being paid by the average uh, rate payer. On the like subject you. of pay, you got a pay-as-you-go program that I've heard something about. Tell me about that. We created the pay-as-you-go program back in 2008 in response to the fact that there was no alternative for credit challenge customers to have um, in terms of natural gas. So you had the regulated provider, but there was no other way to get um, gas from other marketers. So we created a program specifically for credit challenge customers. Um, it has an escalated uh, disconnection time frame, and the price is not much more than what uh, a customer so you're not has. Them. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. And if you pay well over a year, we graduate you to our regular rate fees, and we report that positive credit back to Equifax. Wow, this is great news. I want us to keep you around for another segment and talk about natural gas vehicles. As you know, I had a little Honda Civic uh, when I lived here in Winterville, and I drove it back and forth to the Capitol. We didn't have a place and still don't have a place to fuel it here in Athens, and that's one of the needs that we have. I would have to fuel that thing in Atlanta, and I probably took a year off my life with range anxiety as I as I drove down 316, <laughs> sure. praying, in hoping traffic. that I would make it to the pump. So I want us to talk about CNG, compressed natural gas. I want us to talk about LNG, liquefied natural gas, and the fact that the U.S. is going to be exporting this stuff. What impact is it going to make? I want us to. I want to pitch to you this idea that that fracking and cheap natural gas is revitalizing American manufacturing. Hold your horses. That woo woo woo. Fracking not good. Natural gas revitalizing economy. Good. We need to be doing uh, natural gas extraction that is much more environmentally friendly than we're doing it today. So let's talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Energy Matters. We want to help you save money to use technology and to live a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles, your host, and we'll see you back here in a few minutes. You've heard about Jim Cars on Energy Matters. Made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street-legal, small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, Jim Cars and Trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation Gems have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to GemCarService.com to find out more. That's G-E-M-CarService.com. Hey, it's Commissioner Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. I want to tell you about Kevin Rowe and Rowe Insulating Company. If you need insulation anywhere within 60 miles of Athens, Georgia, you need to call 706-795-2854. It's important, isn't it, John? It is the most important thing you can do in your house. It's the low-hanging fruit of everything that we talk about on Energy Matters every single week. That's exactly right. Yeah, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Rowe Insulating Company. Get comfortable. And welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host. My co-host, 
the former state representative John Noel in the studio with us uh, from Gas South, Meredith Hodges and P.J. Zonzius. Welcome, guys, to Athens, Georgia, and we appreciate you guys being on our show today. John? Support for this half hour of Energy Matters comes from the Georgia Solar Energy Association. GA Solar helps consumers decide how to access solar energy in ways that save them money on their power bills and reduces their environmental footprint. They help them find skilled solar professionals they can trust and provide guides to evaluate solar options. Learn more, gasolar.org. I was out in Seattle, I guess summer before last, PJ, uh, and meeting with Microsoft, meeting with uh, Starbucks corporate. And Jet Set Life. In, in my meeting, <laughs> I use, uh, in, in my meeting I uh, with Microsoft, we were trying to lure them here to build a data center. And one of the things that they wanted to do was to have full backup, 100 megawatts of backup that was natural gas powered. Are you seeing that more and more that folks are wanting to run generators on natural gas instead of diesel? Yeah, I mean, I think most companies right now want to run as much as much of their equipment, as many of their processes on natural gas as possible. I mean, I think that even speaks to the power companies. Uh, it's, a, it's a cleaner burning fuel. It's less expensive. It's got stability, and we have a ton of it. You know, as you think about Plant McDonough in Atlanta, if you go around the top of 285, across, uh, heading, street, across the river from my not, house. Not too far from your yep. house, John. Yep. Right there on the Chattahoochee River, former coal plant mm-hmm. uh, that was about 500 megawatts. And with the upgrade that the commission approved for the power company, they they have 2,500 megawatts, five times the power, but fueled by natural gas. I mean, what has that done for Northwest Atlanta air quality alone? Yeah, so on average, the CO2 emissions are brought down by 50 to 60 percent if you look at even a new coal plant compared to a natural gas plant right now. So, I mean, the air is definitely cleaner. Um, it also has an impact probably long term on price. Uh, if natural gas prices stay at the st- stable low prices they're at, it's going to affect electric rates. And I think that we would probably have converted plant branch down in Eatonton to natural gas had the supply been closer. We were going to have mm. to run a pipeline over 25 miles, and it was just not going to be possible yeah. to, to get the gas there. And so as a result, we closed a 2,200-acre coal plant. A lot of jobs. And we've got coal ash sitting there. What do you do with that much coal ash? Is there a way that you can turn it into something useful? Now, there's a great company down in Macon called Nietzsche that uses that coal ash in their product. And so I think there is a lot of opportunity there. The other thing that you mentioned is uh, the cost of pipeline. Uh, it's almost $3 million per mile. So if you hmm. think about that, it's pretty expensive. And, uh, you know, if you look at how pipelines are built now, uh, they're a lot, the lines are a lot squigglier than when they were built when Transco and some of these other really large pipelines were built. Because more people fighting them as they, as they go down the, down yeah. the way. Yeah. John, you've been yeah. around Atlanta a long time, and so have I. I remember a day when we didn't have emission stickers uh, mm-hmm. and when our air was a little bit cleaner than it is now. But I have to give kudos to MARTA for converting their diesel buses over to natural gas and the impact that that has made in our city. I mean, you served in the legislature. You saw I was on that. the Martok committee. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah, so seeing some tell of those us facilities. About, you know, tell us about just, just the great story that that is for our city. So for those of you, uh, well, heck, you don't have to think back. We've all been behind diesel-polluting buses. Horrible. Black smoke. Still this way with big trucks used to be this way with every MARTA bus in Atlanta and many public transit buses around the state. That now converted to natural gas, you can't see the emissions. And the emissions are, as you say, much less. Uh, and these, these CNG facilities, though costly, uh, are a lower operating cost uh, per mile than it was with diesel. Yeah, I also think there's a really unique story there that's probably not told often about MARTA, is that, you know, to me, the two words that explain that are their timing and the commitment to it. It was 1996 when they made that decision, and a lot Olympics of it was coming. The, a lot of it was the Olympics. And so, if you think about the partnerships between AGL, the state, and everything to uh, make the air, air quality cleaner and the economic impact of the Olympics, um, and especially at that time when natural gas prices weren't where they are at today, no, so it wasn't true. it wasn't a decision based on based on pure you know profit mm-hmm. you fast forward 10 years and natural gas pricing gets to where you know fracking and i'm sure that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit 
and the, and the pricing goes down. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible now, the, the savings that MARTA has. I mean, I think they are paying probably at some point, they were paying 40 to 50 cents a gallon for fuel. That's a huge line item for them. Let's so start moving electric territory in terms of pricing. Yeah, it's, yeah. Ama- it's a, just an amazing story about Atlanta. Let's stay on transportation for just a second. I, I mentioned in the earlier segment about having a 1999 Honda Civic. And Honda was the only OEM, the only manufacturer making a CNG car, and they stopped making that. Unfortunately, that Civic is no longer made. You had the first one, didn't you? I didn't have the I didn't have the first one, but I had an I had an early one. Uh, and you guys have experimented with these cars. You I've seen them wrapped and at your at your place. Where do you see the future of natural gas transportation, both for you know, for commuters as well as for for buses. Yeah, I mean, I, I drive a bi-fuel natural gas Tahoe, um, but when we look at as Gas South, when we look at uh, at CNG, we, we really look at alternative fuels. Every alternative fuel has its place. Um, the electric side has done great for consumer. You know, the Teslas um, that that's kind of their market. And unless diesel prices get extremely high. CNG is really made for the the types of applications that use a lot of gas and have low gas mileage. So waste, uh, you know, MARTA, those are great examples of where CNG makes a whole lot of sense. And uh, you know, to us, uh, we're owned by CobbMC, so we look at it as an at an enterprise level and say, you know, there's some great programs for CNG, some great applications, and there's some great applications for electric. And us working together really, I think, helps make the the environment a better place and hopefully save some folks some money. So what about liquefied natural gas and you know these large ships that are that are running on liquefied natural gas and over the road tractor trailers. I mean, does that have a future? I know it's a little more complicated. I was out at, at the port of Long Beach watching technicians fuel up those uh, those those trucks, and they had to wear special masks. They had to wear special gloves because they're keeping that stuff at uh, below 200 degrees, and so it's quite cold and quite dangerous. You know, unless you have the right equipment. So LNG has its applications. LNG is a very interesting fuel, like you said. Where you see LNG is, is especially in the uh, the marine environment. They have some new federal regulations that are going to go in that are really going to impact um, the demand for LNG for the marine for the large shipping uh, because the diesel quality the diesel that they normally use for those ships oh, is, gosh, is, is not going is, is not going to pass right they yeah. either have to get scrubbers they either have to use higher grade diesel which could impact the trucking industry or they're going to have to switch to LNG. So you're seeing a lot of LNG investment on ports. You're not seeing as much LNG investment for the trucking industry as you did five years ago. Trucking is mainly CNG, and you're mainly seeing in trucking the large transportation companies, the UPSs and the FedExs, the Frito-Lays of the world. It, it, it's, a, it's a challenging sell to go to a sole proprietor, uh, a, a mm-hmm. trucking individual, and say, hey, make your biggest investment and switch this over to federal tax credits also involved in, in, the, in conversion of vehicles or the adoption of vehicles? There was. Uh, mm-hmm. Those have, most of those have expired okay. um, because of the CNG at the price point. It was originally put in to help push folks to natural gas, and there was a price difference between diesel and CNG. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love to see those come back. Um, but they would need to come back for the reason of helping the environment. Well, one of the things that – oh, did you just say the environment? I did. Because one of the reasons that uh, gas has gotten so cheap is because of fracking. And mm-hmm. there's new technologies that allows us to dig in the ground and then shoot a little spike over here and grab that pocket of gas or grab that pocket of oil. Very innovative. It has made the United States the Saudi Arabia of the world in some respects – all that's great, but boy, fracking has a real environmental impact. It's really bad. Um, what can be done to mitigate that? Or maybe you can tell us more about how you're trying to do it right or do business with companies that give it to you in a better, more environmentally friendly yeah. way. So, or are you not? Yeah, so we don't, as Gas South, we're just a marketer. But right. um, the industry in general, if you think back, I mean, this industry of fracking is really only 10 you know, 10 years old. Uh, and it was the Wild West. And right. initially, let me tell you, they, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't very well regulated. Um, and I also think there's some misinformation out there hmm. um, as far as what are the risks. There are real risks, so don't get me wrong there. 
a lot of the environmental risk actually comes from the water that is used in the chemical water after it's after it's gone into the ground and basically it it's used to add a high pressure to uh, pull the natural gas out. That water has to go somewhere. And that's the stuff that you really have to manage. That's the stuff that can get in the groundwater. It needs to be stored properly. And the companies that are doing now are doing a better job. And yes, there is room for improvement. John, I went out to WPX Energy out in western Colorado because I had been getting so many complaints from my constituents. And I said, I just want to go out there and see it myself. So I went out and went to both a drilling site and then watched a fracking crew. It's two different Two, cool. two different processes. Um, the drilling uh, was being done. Uh, it took about 21 days to to do that hydraulic, uh, that 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 horizontal drilling, as mm-hmm. they call it. And then I went over to a another site where they had a fracking crew. The fracking crew comes in on Monday. They leave on Friday, and they're done. Mm. I was thinking fracking was this continual thing that was happening, but a well is fracked over a over a five day period. And then I went to their water reclamation facility because that, as PJ said, that was the big concern. And I went, and it was just like uh, any kind of water reclamation facility that you would see here in Georgia as Mm. folks are trying to get their water back to drinkable quality. Mm. And then they're reusing that water. So I came away feeling like, hey, this, this is something that really works and it's something we need to continue to promote. Well, it's been a great conversation with you guys. Time has flown by. Thank you for uh, all that you're doing over there uh, in in Marietta and throughout the state to promote uh, a clean resource like natural gas. To our listeners, you're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. Join us each and every week for a great stimulating conversation about how you can save money, use technology, and live a more sustainable life. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make. Like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Right now, the gap between what you should save and what you can save has never felt bigger. The U.S. Bank mobile app can help by finding ways to help you reach your savings goals with personalized insights that fit your real life to make your financial goals feel within reach. Because even our tools are smart enough to put people first. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. 